The first part we see, uh, I've just uh, missed the whole uh, introduction being recorded, but that's okay. The first part that we are seeing is that the I am is arrested by enemies. The I am is arrested by enemies. Kids, if you're following along and filling out those sheets, it's I am is arrested by enemies. What would you do if your final hours were upon you? If you knew the end is nigh, I've only got a short time left, what are you going to do? You're going to run around and try and cram in all those experiences that you wanted to get done before you kicked the bucket? You've only got a few minutes of freedom left. What do you do? Jesus goes to pray. He's about to go to the Father, but what does he do? He goes and talks to the Father. So Jesus leaves the, uh, the upper room with the disciples, their, 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 their dinner party group. They head out uh, and they head towards a garden. You see, they had their uh, ancient uh, Passover meal in Jerusalem, in the ancient city of Jerusalem, in, on Mount Zion, in the upper room of a house. But now they were heading out of the city. So if you're looking at the map, you'll see there that um, that's the kind of the, the Mount Zion Jerusalem on this side, and then there's a valley, and then on the other side is the, the Mount of Olives. We don't know where they had the meal itself. It's somewhere in the city, uh, but now they are on the move. What does it say? When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. We know that from other sources that this garden was called Gethsemane, which means oil press. So that leads us to believe that a garden called oil press on the Mount of Olives is probably an olive grove, just putting two and two together. So Jesus and his disciples go to this olive grove and... The disciples had probably had their accommodation somewhere on this hill because over the kind of the course of the week leading up to this, they kind of keep going back out every night. They go back out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, it might have just been that Jesus really loved to pray there at the, at the garden. But uh, I, I reckon that their accommodation was over there somewhere. It was a regular pattern for Jesus, though, to go to this garden and pray. So much so that Judas knew exactly where to find them. If their party had moved on from the, the Passover room where they met, Judas knew the next place to look is Gethsemane. That's where we'll find them. Remember, Jesus, Judas had left the Passover meal sometime earlier. And the disciples were unaware of what was going on with Judas leaving. Jesus had predicted that one of his disciples would betray him. And uh, Peter and John had got the information from Jesus that it was Judas who was going to betray them. But even so, even so, Peter and John and the rest of the disciples didn't understand what was happening in those moments. It was, they were caught completely unawares. They thought that, Jesus, that Judas was heading out to maybe buy supplies or perhaps going to give donations, charitable donations to the poor. But what was Judas really doing? Well, he was rounding up a band of soldiers and officers of the religious leaders, Judas was out fulfilling the name that Jesus gave him. Jesus gave him 
the name the Son of Destruction. And he turns up with a band of soldiers. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? I don't know if you can tell, but this is a pretty aggressive confrontation in the middle of the night, armed to the teeth. And I presume that the Pharisees, the officers of the Pharisees and the, uh, and the chief priests, these guys are coming out to make sure that things are done well or done the right way, at least the way that they thought things should be doing. But I guess they probably brought their weapons with them because they were afraid that the disciples might kick up a stink. You know, 12 blokes in the prime of their life and, and Jesus, um, potentially other uh, people as well. They didn't want to. Uh, they didn't want to kind of get into a big fight, so they came armed in the middle of the night. And Jesus steps forward when this band of armed people approach him. Jesus is not being caught unawares. He's not making the best out of a bad situation. He is deliberately and intentionally coming forward to face the challenge of this approaching band. He asks, "Whom do you seek?" And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus will not shy away from the task ahead of him. He, he certainly feels the weight of it. We know in the way that he prayed in the other records of this night. He feels the weight of it, but plainly, he steps up when the time comes and he says, it's me. We have these two groups facing off against one another. Judas, with the band of, uh, of soldiers and officers of the religious leaders on one side, and we have Jesus and his now 11 disciples on the other. And when they ask Jesus ask for Jesus, Jesus answers, but interestingly, not quite in the way that our English Bibles render it. You might have noticed that I left out the he when I was reading it, because the Greek here has been smoothed out for easy reading for us in English, but what he says here is, I am. Jesus says, I am. And in Greek, it says, ego emi. And you might have noticed that this is a word where we get ego from. If we say somebody has a big ego, they're full of themselves, it's self. And so Jesus is saying, I am. Obviously not in a full of himself kind of way. But that's, I'm just showing you where that, that word kind of comes through, even into English. But these words are significant because if we go back to the Greek Old Testament, called the Septuagint, or the Sometimes you'll see it written as LXX, the, the Roman numerals for 70. If you go back to the Greek Old Testament, you find something interesting. In Exodus, when God reveals his name to Moses, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is how God revealed himself. When, when Moses was asking, who are you, this God whom I serve, what is your name, who are you? 
he reveals himself as I am. And now Jesus, when these soldiers are coming up to him and they're saying, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus answers with an emphatic, I am, the same way that it is written in their Greek Old Testament. Now, to be sure, Jesus was probably speaking Aramaic in that moment. Uh, Jesus, uh, that was the common language, although Greek was also very uh, widely known. But so John, as he records uh, this event here, he records it in Greek for, our, for the benefit of his readers so that they would understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that he is the I am. This is God in flesh. They were coming and facing off against God. This is no mere man. And you see this by the way that the people respond to him. They knew what was going on. Jesus is letting a tiny bit of his godness shine through when he says, I am. These are guys who know their Old Testament. These are guys who know their faith, hopefully. And so Jesus steps up and says, I am. And now this is either one of two things. It is either a horrendous blasphemy by him trying to take on and saying that he's divine if he isn't, or he really is divine. He is God in flesh. But these guys obviously thought there was something going on in the way that they stepped and fell back when Jesus revealed himself and said, I am. But Jesus, instead of unleashing on them, instead of uh, letting loose and driving them away as God, smiting them where they stood, he calmly follows up with another question. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. So Jesus once again puts himself forward, willingly willingly putting himself in their care, submitting to them, not to... Uh, not to, so that because they're in authority, but because he's submitting to the Father, because he is going along with what the plan was. But even in that moment, Jesus is still interceding for his disciples, looking out for them and asking for them to be taken care of in fulfillment of the prayer that he had just prayed a few moments earlier. Of those whom you gave me, I've lost not one. But Peter doesn't like how things are going. So Peter thinks, I'm going to step in, I'm going to start setting things right. Simon Peter, having a sword, obviously he was okay with open carry, Uh, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. This servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Will I not drink this cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of uh, the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Jesus will not have Peter getting in the way of him fulfilling his mission. He asked that rhetorical question, should, should I divert from this path? Should I, what does he say? Should I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus is willing to go through. Jesus is willing to continue the mission and, and he will not let Peter get in the way. He is focused on this. 
And in Luke, they record that Jesus healed the man whose ear Peter had cut off. But Jesus goes with them. He is arrested. Jesus had every opportunity to step back. They knew, he knew that they were coming to get him. And yet, what did he do? Knowing all that would happen, he stepped forward. He could have tried to hide in the crowd of disciples. He could have tried to deny who he was. He could have tried to use his divine power to drive them away. He could have inspired the disciples to try and defend him and to wholeheartedly attack the mob. But in each case, Jesus pushes forward on his mission to save his people. He pushes forward on his mission to save us. He submitted to the Father, and in so doing, he won our redemption. The I am is then betrayed by a friend. Betrayed by a friend. In these moments, with the two crowds facing off, it was pretty clear who was with who. It specifically says Judas is standing over there with them. He, Judas has thrown his lot in with the religious leaders and he has abandoned his rabbi. He has become Jesus' enemy. And Peter was obviously on Jesus' side. He tried to prove it with his sword, with violence. But Peter's resolve wouldn't stand. In contrast to Jesus, who steps forward and says, I am, Peter keeps saying, not me. Am not. Where Jesus is willing to be identified as, as the one that they were looking for. He's the willing to, to stand forward and to take what's coming. Peter steps back and does, wants to be disassociated with Jesus. He pulled back in fear. Simon Peter and, the, and another disciple were following Jesus. This is after he's been arrested. Because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus to the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back spoke to the servant girl on duty and brought Peter in. So there's a disciple here who doesn't get named and we, we think this is John because John never names himself in the, in the story. He likes to keep him, himself low-key. So it seems like John has connections to the high priest's family and so they follow with Jesus after he'd been arrested. They follow into town. They go to this house and like many of the wealthy uh, people in that time, they would have had the house and they would have had a courtyard attached to the house. And so that's where things seem to be happening. So John goes and he basically gets permission to come in and see what's going on uh, to be in the courtyard. He says, I've got to bring my mate in. So he goes back in and gets Peter and brings him in. But Peter, of course, is on a bit on edge. <laughs> They've just arrested Jesus with an armed band and uh, Peter's feeling a little bit on edge. He has also just chopped somebody's ear off. Um, and now, what is he doing? He's in the, he's in the hornet's nest, so to speak. He is, he's there with the people who have just arrested Jesus, and he's trying to keep a low profile. He tries to go undercover. But unfortunately, in doing so, he denies his master. Somebody recognizes him. You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. 
Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. While this is happening, Jesus is being interviewed, but Peter continues to hang out in the courtyard there. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself, so they asked him, you are not one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't, you, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. At that moment, a rooster began to crow. Jesus, Peter refused to be identified with Jesus. He refused to be thrown in with Jesus. He refused to be aligned with him. The big talking Peter had his courage and confidence fail him. And in so doing, he fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus had given back in chapter 13. Uh, Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This has just happened. Peter has denied Jesus three times and then the rooster crowed, just as he predicted. Peter was big talking. He said he would lay down his life. I'll lay down my life for you. But what happened in reality? He denied him three times. And I suppose this reveals to us the, that talk is cheap. It's easy to say, yes, I'll do that. I'll lay down my life. I'll take a bullet for you. But where is where's the substance to that? We come in here every Sunday and we sing about Jesus. We sing to him and we pray to him and we commit ourselves to him. And, and I'm sure that many of you are doing that regularly throughout the week as well. But is there any substance to that? Is, is that what characterizes your life? What comes out of our mouth on a Sunday? The flesh will fail us. We need to be conformed into the image of Christ. We need to have his strength. We need to have his spirit come into us. Because left to our own devices, we will deny him and run away in cowardice. We cannot trust the flesh. It will fail us. But here is the good news. This betrayal could be forgiven. Peter will be restored in a few chapters' time. He will be restored, even though he has denied his master, the master that bought him. He will be restored. He will be forgiven. And this is good news for us because it means that our betrayals of God can be forgiven. There is redemption available to us. Your betrayal by refusing to acknowledge Jesus before others can be forgiven. Your betrayal when you willfully disobey Jesus and do things that you know that you shouldn't do. Your betrayal when you fail to live in accordance with the way that he has called you to live. These betrayals of your master can be forgiven. So repent. Turn away from this, this path of rejecting Jesus, this path of, of, of being disobedient, and unfaithful, repent from that and come to him and ask for forgiveness. He will give you forgiveness. He will give you grace. Your betrayals can be forgiven. 
But if like Judas, you will not repent and come back to the Lord, you'll be cut off from life with God. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before man, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. To be loyal to Jesus means to stick with him even when it's tough, even when it's hard. Being loyal to Jesus means acknowledging him and not lying about him. It means taking what comes with belonging to Jesus. But the good news is that when we stand up and we say, yes, I will be counted as a follower of Christ, it means that Jesus will stand up before his Father in heaven and say, yes, this one belongs to me. In the last part of the passage, we see that the I am is interrogated by mere men. The I am is interrogated by mere men. So what was happening to Jesus while Peter was out denying Jesus in the courtyard? Well, they brought Jesus him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So this is the, the high, priestly, uh, high priest kind of family. It seems like it was probably a bit of a nepotistic affair with uh, um, guys kind of holding on to power. But ironically, Caiaphas had advised that one man should die to save the many. Why is it an irony? Because he thought he was going, uh, in order that the Romans won't come down hard on us, we will, we will execute this one man because he seems like he's a bit of a troublemaker. We'll execute this one guy and then we'll avoid problems. So he had, he had this prof prophetic word of one man should die for the many. But what was really happening was that this one man was going to the cross to die for the many, to die for their sin, to die to redeem them from death. This one man was going to die to save his disciples, to save that nation if they would only turn to him, to die for us. So they're at Anna's house, and the questioning gets underway. The high priest questioned Jesus about uh, his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me, surely they know what I said. They're asking stuff that they could have already found out if they came and listened to Jesus or talked to him. Stuff that they probably had already heard reports of. And I think that what Jesus is implying by his response is, it's all open, it's all out there. I haven't been fomenting a revolt. I have been preaching openly in the public places where you, where you talk about these kind of things, in the temple, in the synagogues, which was like church for them. It's all a matter of public record. Why, would, why do you need to arrest me to ask me about these kind of things, I think is what is being implied. Jesus is not like a politician trying to um, duck the question, because we don't arrest politicians to interrogate them about their views. 
So Jesus has been out doing this openly. It's not been in secret. And he's revealing, I think, to them something of their, the sin that's going on. This whole affair with this arrest and this interrogation is not above board. And the, Jesus' response, I think, is starting to reveal their sinful intentions. They're starting to be exposed. And so what's the response? The response is one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? And Jesus responded, oh, sorry, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke to the truth, why did you strike me? So then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. There's a little bit of confusion here because it says uh, the high priest questioned Jesus. And uh, as Jesus is talking here, when the guy slaps him, he said, is this the way you talk to the high priest? But then it says... Then has bound him and sent him to Caiaphas, which was the high priest. So I'm guessing there's something going on here where they still call a previous high priest a high priest, even though Caiaphas was the guy who was um, standing that year. So there was a perceived disrespect in the way that Jesus answered. He said, is this the way you talk to the high priest? But what has Jesus actually done? Has he spoken disrespectfully? No, he says, it's the truth. I spoke the truth, so why did you strike me? They didn't like hearing the truth. As I said, I think it's starting to expose them. They, they know in their hearts that this is not right, there's something going on. It's a bit of a cover-up, and Jesus is starting to expose what's going on in their heart. But that happens not just in this instance. This happens around us. This happens to ourselves. Perhaps even uh, sometimes as you sit and, and listen to people teaching you the Bible, perhaps you feel that, that, that frustration, that irritation rising up. Not because the person speaking has actually done something wrong, but because the truth is starting to poke and prod at the areas where you need change in your life. The truth can be perceived as disrespectful. And what we need to be careful to do is not ascribe it to some other thing. We start to, start to rub us up the wrong way because we know that we need to change. But then we'll say, oh, but I, it was because of the way they said it. It was because of the tone that they used or the vocab. We find ways to try and excuse listening to the truth and obeying it. The truth is perceived as being disrespectful. Or some people would say, even say unloving. But really? Is it really unloving to share the truth with people? Yes, we need to speak in love and kindness and gentleness. This isn't an excuse to ride roughshod over people. But there is something that is more important than tone and, and the vibe of the way that we talk. The most important thing is the truth. Our world would cover up the truth, or at least try and dilute it into a shadow of its former self. And we see that, we see the temptation to do that, even ourselves. But we see that in, in, in churches, there, are, there is a temptation to dilute the truth, to make it more palatable, to pander to people's itching ears. But we have to think, if we only ever hear 
things that we agree with, perhaps we should be careful to examine that we're actually in the truth and not just itching, um, you know, not just listening to the things we want to listen to. God tells us, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We speak the truth. We speak the truth in love, including the truth that we don't want to hear because it is for our good. It is for our best. It is so that we might grow into Christ. Let's pray that we are not like the Pharisees who are unwilling, the, the high priest who is unwilling to hear the truth. After this incident with Caiaphas, oh, sorry, after this incident at Annas' house, uh, Jesus is shipped off to Caiaphas' house. And we will pick up the rest of that story next week. So where have we gone? What have we seen this morning? We've seen our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ revealed as the I am. He has been revealed as the, as the God of the Old Testament. He was betrayed by Peter. And we acknowledge that at times we have betrayed Jesus ourselves by the way that we have lived, the way that we have thought, the way that we have acted. But there is redemption available. We are not too far gone. But there is still a warning in that. We get these two betrayers Judas and Peter, one who was redeemed and brought back and one who rejected Jesus and never came back, who never came and sought his grace and forgiveness. But the one who does acknowledge Jesus before men will be acknowledged by Jesus before his father. And we have seen how speaking the truth can get us into trouble, but that speaking the truth is important because speaking the truth in love, we grow up into our head, into Christ. When we feel those, um, those, uh, that response that comes when we hear that truth, we need to humble ourselves before God before we start attacking the messenger who brings the truth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us this morning. We thank you uh, for Jesus who willingly uh, went forward, who willingly uh, accepted this arrest, even though he had every reason to, to um, and, and every opportunity to not be arrested. Yet, Lord, he did that. He went so that one man could die for many. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus' death, his burial and his resurrection, which comes shortly after this story. We thank you for the redemption that is available to us through him. We pray, Lord, that this truth might go out, might go out across our town across our country that it might be known in our homes we pray lord that that you would um you would help us to take you as you are and not to try and uh, cover up the truth not try and change it and mold it to suit us but lord help us to re to respond to your truth to humble ourselves before you and lord to live lives of faithfulness to you and never betray you by the way that we speak or act Lord, this is only possible through the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that you would continue that work of your Holy Spirit, that we might walk in faithfulness and obey all that you have for us. We thank you for the redemption and the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>